On the show today, we have a very special guest. I know we say this in most episodes, but you've probably heard his voice if you're Malaysian on the radio, social media, YouTube and podcast. He's almost like a trailblazer in the creative industry. And today, we are going to be talking about finding your passion that also makes you the kaching. I'm Castle. And I'm Sulin. You're listening to The Recess Podcast. Hit it! Jin, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here today. Hi, I like I like the word recess. It's something that I've never had uh, for the past, <laughs> I would say, 20 years. I just gave away my age. Oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> I, I love how true that is. Like you, you are a hustler. Your name is very well known. You know, you're oh. at this point, you're like a household name. You started being famous for YouTube videos, or for those who listen to Malaysian radio when radio was a thing, the gotcha calls. It's uh, still a thing, right? <laughs> Oh man, I I I I hated the gotcha calls. I'll be honest. Oh my gosh, no! I actually called in the gotcha calls once, and I pranked one of my friends. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Oh okay. It was it was oh. so fun. It, it's it's it's. I think like um when we obviously whatever we put on on on, on mainstream media and stuff like that has obviously it's uh, catered towards uh, the best product ever for people to listen to gotcha calls especially mm-hmm. but i think like what people fail to realize or obviously people do not realize we don't expect them to know is gotcha calls uh, have a success rate of like 10 percent. oh so for every gotcha call that you hear and you laugh at we probably failed like 10 times or 20 oh, times really? in the background so in my career, in my career in doing the morning show, I, I think I think I've done about like four thousand to five thousand calls. No. Yeah. So imagine imagine four to five thousand calls and only and four hundred like, came out. Hey, no, wait a minute. Is it four to five thousand calls? No, more than that. Four to five. We have done three thousand different calls that have been aired. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, so right. imagine that was a successful one. So can you imagine the ones that failed? So thirty thousand, <laughs> no? Like if you're doing the, if you're doing the math, right? Right? Yeah, cool. a lot, a lot. Yeah. Or maybe Jing got his math wrong. So what happens to all the fit ones? Like what what happens to all the fit ones then? Oh, it's it's more of like every time we call someone, I was like, uh, hello, you know, we put on a voice and the person be like, hey, I know your voice. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're like, okay, bye, thanks. You know, (laughs) you know, and uh, sometimes, sometimes we do a, we do gotcha calls and, uh, and it's really funny, like super funny. Uh And, um, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, once everything is done and they realize it's a gotcha call, um, what we do is, uh, so this is a bit of insider information. We always get their uh, voice, their, their their audio consent that yeah. they allow us to basically have it aired on national radio and stuff correct. like that. And all they need to do is just say no. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> and, and you wasted like your your uh, entire like probably forty minutes trying mm-hmm. to you know try to get a good piece of content, and then they say no, and that's uh and it sucks sometimes because. Every gotcha call on radio is three minutes. I think uh, for the for for the formula of radio is three minutes. But uh, every time when we call someone, it will take about forty minutes because like wow. because you need to you need to really get them in. Yeah, you need to vamp it up really, slowly. Yeah, you need to make them believe who you are. If you're calling, you know, as a character, you need to yeah. basically make them believe you, and then throw throw in some uh, some real life scenarios or relatable scenarios that's that's relatable to them to mm-hmm. like, really really trust you. So you can really like you know like really prank them. So yeah, that's that's a little bit of uh, an insider thing about gotcha calls. <laughs> that was my first and only gotcha call, but like we really enjoyed it. And the best part was that 
a lot of our friends, because that, that was still the time of radio, right? So a lot of our friends yeah. heard it and they all called my friends like, hey, you were on you were on Kocha, weren't you? And I'm like, mm. Oh, nice, nice. This wasn't with me, right? Okay, I don't think it's with me. <laughs> Possibly. Was it with yeah. me? Okay, I, I will no, not no, say. No. I will not say. How did all this start? How did you get into YouTube and radio in the first place? Uh, okay, radio was pretty much accidental. Uh, I I I studied uh, I studied in uh, I studied marketing and PR. Came back, uh, wanted to work for like big companies like Nestle, you know, mm-hmm. the big uh, multinational companies, because you know that's what all Asian parents want you to do, right? They'd be like, oh, you must work for this, <laughs> this what P and C that C A B C D whatever. <laughs> um, then uh, I think like I got a job in Astro as a uh, marketing exec. Um, my role was to actually write all the scripts that you hear on radio across all seven major stations. So it is uh, Malay, Chinese, uh, Tamil, and English. So uh, what what I did was I... So uh, what I used to do last time was listen to the brief from the sales team, from the client. Then I will write a promotional campaign uh, around their product or their campaign or their budget. And then we execute it on radio. And then we do the post-campaign report. And then we just report it to... Um, to the to the clients are how many people listen to your campaign this campaign is good did it do good <laughs> yes even if it didn't do good we say yes, yes. <laughs> yeah and and i i like uh i think i wanted to do radio part-time because i was under the assumption that it made a lot of money but instead of doing radio i did uh voiceover commercials which uh was kind of funny because i was asked to go into a studio to sneeze and i was paid 300 bucks and i was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> He's like, Achoo! you know, it's like, oh, your sneeze is quite real. Yeah. Then uh, can you please oh sign this piece goodness. of paper? And then be like, oh, how much are 300? 300 bucks for me to sneeze? You know? <laughs> so I, I did a lot of voiceover commercials uh, for uh-huh. fun because it was easy money. I mean, I, I, I don't want to uh, downplay voice actors because voice mm-hmm. acting is indeed a skill. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of uh, talented people out there, like the person that goes like the the person that uh, that that voices Yusuf Tayo. Yeah, yeah I know you're gonna of, say that. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> it's coming. Makes right. a lot of money. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know some voice actors drive really really nice cars and make a living just on their voices. Uh, wow. and, and also um, like you know the the golden the golden icon iconic voice Patrick Teal also had a, a golden voice. So I did that for a while. And uh, I think something happened somewhere. I won't go into too detail into it, but um, somebody uh, kind of left radio and I think they needed to fill a spot. And because uh, they knew how I already sounded on radio, uh, they gave me an opportunity or they said that, hey, do you want to try radio? And I'm like, I don't mind. But it was more of like, uh, hey, just say yes or no. Because if you say no, I'll look for someone else. I'm like, hey, yes, 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 you know? <laughs> So that's that's literally how I got on radio. I needed to fill an empty spot. Um, and usually, I think like I, I used to train people. We would train people for like two, three months before they actually have a solo show on air. I, they trained me for two weeks and they put me on the spot like immediately doing the 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. slot, which at the point of time uh, did not have... Like, it is the, the, the post uh, rush hour show, which is 10 to 1, less listenership. So that, that's literally how I got into radio. Nothing fancy, no, no. I wasn't, I wasn't chosen to be on radio just because I had like, you know, skills, a really nice voice or whatever. Not. It's just how it is. No, there's no fancy story around it. Mm. 
So this all started back in 2011, 2012. That was when you started coming onto the scenes with YouTube and media. But at that yeah. time, media as an industry was like pretty much unheard of. Like today, when we think about a new campaign or whatever, one of the categories to consider, the things that you have to deal with is your influence and your media presence. And that's all a given. But 10 years yeah. ago, this wasn't something that people thought of at all. So when yeah. you started going into it, did you see the potential in media and be like, okay, you know, this kind of influence, social media is going to be growing and it's going to become this big thing? Or was it really just, I really, really enjoy it. I'm just going to do it. Uh, whether I make money or not, let's see how it goes kind of thing. <laughs> uh, actually, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. Because uh, so I think nobody realizes that I've been on radio for seven years prior to doing YouTube. So I got a taste of mainstream media. I was working in mainstream media. And, uh, and uh, I think like uh, during my time in mainstream media and, you know, doing the back end and also being the front end on radio shows and stuff like that, I was able to, you know, discover a lot of things. And I, for me, I was a huge fan of YouTube, like back when I was studying in uni. When I went to Australia and the internet connection was like super fast, I was like, wow, no need to pause and buffer. You know what I mean? <laughs> Um, I I got I got uh acquainted to a lot a lot of like like you know people like Wong Fu, um people like uh Kev Jumba, Ryan Higa, mm -hmm. and uh, I think it was the trend on YouTube that was growing big in the states at the point in time, and uh, for me it was like oh uh, the only person in Malaysia that was actually doing a lot of doing YouTube content was Namui actually at that point in time, mm -hmm. oh. it was only him the only person I was trying to find like Malaysian YouTube content creators was him. But he wasn't doing YouTube because, you know, YouTube uh, was lucrative. He was just, uh, you know, I have, we all know Namewee, you know, it's really tough to get his content out there. So like, okay, I'll just put it on YouTube because nobody else is going to put my content out there. So that's, that's Namewee. But yes, I, I did see like a potential, like after befriending uh, a few friends uh, in the YouTube industry in the States, I, I, I kind of realized that, oh, uh, Malaysia hasn't really kind of exploded with regards to YouTube yet. And I, I saw an opportunity there, but not knowing that I would actually, you know, do it. Um, but when I started getting into it, um, it started with me working with radio first. So everywhere I went, uh, I carried a camera to interview the celebrities that I meet, the singers that I meet, the actors that I meet. And uh, apart from listening to it on radio, I would just edit the videos and put it on, you know, a YouTube channel that I created. Uh, it's not called Jitty Boy TV, by the way. It's probably my email, which is like something, 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 underscore 69, whatever. Some numbers. So it's cool, you know, because it's cool. And then I think um, radio saw that opportunity because I did a lot of vlogs at, at that time uh, with a lot of celebrities. Uh, and one of them had to be Justin Bieber. Um, and what Justin Bieber did was he took that video and he tweeted it. And all of a sudden, like, whoa, you know, it just like exploded. Uh, my inbox was just like, you know, crashing because, you know, there were a lot of believers. Mm -hmm. And I think radio saw that potential. It's like, hey, we need video to kind of represent our product too. So I think that's where they kind of took over. And I was, they, they took whatever I did and they formed a video team which was great, to be honest. And then it kind of left me like, oh, what do I do now? You know, and that's <laughs> when, yeah, that's when, so that, that means like if anything video related, they would, it would be, it had to be regulated by the company. They, they would assign a team. They had to be uh, assignments being assigned out and stuff like that. So, so what I did was I, I kind of just started my own channel <laughs> and yeah. I said, okay, cool. If, if I don't have access to celebrities anymore and stuff like that, I would kind of just like, you know, just do short films, you know, went out, uh, 
took out my savings and <laughs> bought a really expensive camera. And my knowledge of film is horrible because the reason why I spent so much money on that camera is because it can make the subject sharp and the background blur. That's that's my explanation to why I want <laughs> that camera. The bouquet, know? the bouquet. Um, yeah, uh, okay. I don't have an even, iPhone right now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize that the thing is called bouquet. You know what I mean? So like, <laughs> pro- professional photographers will look at me and say, "This idiot," you know. <laughs> why is he? Why is he spending so much money on something that he doesn't understand? Um, and the only I remember it was a Canon 5D Mark II. Um, and because it was the most talked about camera at that point in time that could shoot videos, right? So uh, even Namui shot uh, Nasi Lemak 1, uh, the first movie, on a Canon 5D Mark 1. So that's why I wanted the camera. It's like, oh man, it's a dream to have that. So I bought that camera, wrote a, wrote a script of my experience on how I bought the camera and uh, uploaded it just for fun. It, and it was more of like, a, oh, you know what? This is my pet project. Uh, I've watched enough Wong Fu videos to understand how to shoot a, shoot a frame and make it look okay. I've watched enough tutorial videos to learn how to edit. I've, lear- I've learned enough. I've watched enough YouTube videos to learn how to color and do sound. So I, it was supposedly a one-off project because, you know, my main income still came from radio. And uh, I uploaded the first video and uh, it just exploded. Um, took a life of its own, and then uh, you know we did we did more videos, and then it started getting a lot more traction, and then uh, and you know you would think that I already knew what I was doing, but the half the time I, I didn't know I was just basically just making films based on pure instinct, or you know if I saw something on Nine Gag that kind of inspired my next video, I'm like oh cool let's make a video about that. Um, yeah, we just went on and on, and uh, I think the rest was just history. <laughs> I think it's just the fact that Malaysian YouTubers are so humble. Like we spoke to the main thing. They are like half of the time. We don't know what we're doing. But yet you guys are here doing like um, hundreds of short films and gathering all these views and letting us reflect on life. And truly, I grew up kind of in that time and era where I watched like uh, Wong Fu Productions video, your yeah. video and like some Singaporean YouTubers. Um I mean, when and how did Aspect Ratio Studios come in the picture? Because I think that that was just like you're creating short skits and films and f- comedy videos on YouTube. And yep. then you eventually decided to establish and make it into a production house slash social media agency. Like how did this yep. come in the picture and how you know, you know what, this is a time to turn it into a production house. Yeah, I, I think like uh, <laughs> when when I left radio to do YouTube full time, uh, it, it's then like uh, it's some sort of like a wake up call saying like, hey, uh, now you don't have payroll. You need to kind of like mm. uh, um, make money. Depend. Yeah, you need to make money. <laughs> so I think like we grew the YouTube channel. I grew to get, uh, YouTube channel together with Ruben. Uh, and then yeah. I think like I think somewhere along the line, we we started getting requests to get like, you know, Hey, uh, can you guys do TVC commercials? And I, I think at that point, time, mm. at that point in time, I said no because, like, you know, we want to do narratives and we want to do um, short stories and stuff like that. And commercials are just thirty seconds, straight, straight up, like product based. Um, but I think after a while, uh, we realized that if we kept on turning down uh, all these commercial opportunities, uh, then it, it, we're losing money. <laughs> you know what money. I mean? A lot of money. And, and, oh, a trip and, to New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they, they, came, they came to us and they said that we, they liked our style. So, okay, mm-hmm. if we did commercials, but our style, you know, would they like it? And somehow the brands that we worked with really liked uh, what we did. So I think like um, 
it took me a while to really establish Aspect Ratio Studios. I think like we, we were still doing uh, the whole thing under uh, you know uh, Jelly Boy TV, and I saw an opportunity uh, to start a social media agency, uh, and my wife runs that. Uh, only because like when we started making films and we had like talents be on the film, sometimes the clients would come to, hey, you know that girl who is in this video or that guy was in this video, can they do a social media campaign for me? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And then we would just like wow. pass their numbers to the client and then the client called themselves. And right. then like, and then uh, the clients would come back to us and say, oh uh, yeah, okay, I, I want those two, but can you give me like five more? And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, you know, then, you know, we would go back and say, we don't do that, you know? And then after a while, you'll sit down and like, okay, why did, why did I say that? Because like, mm. you know, that, again, there's opportunity being lost over there. So I decided to start a social media agency um, and uh, we, we basically execute campaigns. We come up with creatives and we, I saw an opportunity to basically produce videos for influencers, creators who do not have that expertise um, you know, in creating high quality videos for campaigns. So what we'll do is we'll do something for like, for example, Samsung, right? Uh, we'll go there and they gave us the, they will give us the brief and they will make like a whole thematic uh, campaign. And every video is basically streamlined in terms of quality and everybody would just put, post it up on their platform. So we do the conceptualization. We, uh, we, we will write the script according to what fits uh, the influencer or the creator or the, the, or the celebrity. And at least it, it's, it's them. So that became some sort of like a business model. And the only reason why I, I started Aspect Ratio Studios is because I wanted to build a brand that was uh, more sustainable without my face or my name. Because, <laughs> you know, I can't do this. I can't do this right, forever. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So Aspect Ratio Studios is new. And, and yeah, and that, that was the goal to, to just... Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie. My team are, are more knowledgeable uh, with regards to like technical stuff uh, on film than I am. I'm just the person that basically said something that made sense and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't work, <laughs> but they do most of the technical groundwork and they made it happen. So uh, for me, it's like more of like creating something that's more self-sustainable uh, apart from just relying on the name. And if the name goes down, then everything just goes down. So yeah. Mm. So it's, a, it's about the evolution, you know, you're evolving from one point and then you're going on to oh, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, um, I've been in the entertainment industry for almost like 16 years and mm -hmm. wow, uh, I've yeah. seen a lot of people come and go, local mm. celebrities and international celebrities. Nothing lasts forever. I mean, some do. The really hardworking ones who really evolve uh, really do. Like, for example, like Psy, Gangnam Style is a one-hit wonder. Where is he now? Yeah. Probably made mm -hmm. enough money. So nothing nothing lasts forever until you really step in and evolutionize, uh, you know, whatever you want in order to make it sustain. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So speaking of evolution, you know, like you've said, you've been in this industry for like 10, 16 years. What's the most significant evolution you've seen in your whole production process? So from the conceptualization of the idea to the final product, pick something that has changed or evolved the most throughout this process. Oh, um, I think like the way we consume content. Uh, I remember the first time when Instagram announced that they were going to have like IGTV vertical and everybody was like, Ugh! being like <laughs> filmmakers is like, what the heck? You know, who watches films uh, on a nine by 16 aspect ratio? That's rubbish. You know, this is not going to last. And here we are scrolling on Insta stories and, you know, uh, not, not, not giving now. a care about how it's being shot whether it's got bokeh or not in the background, whether the color's not. You know the Canon I mean? control away already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Funnily enough, I actually have like one of the lenses that my wife bought me because I couldn't afford to buy lenses, right? So she she shelled out 800 bucks. Uh, it's a 50mm lens. 
And it was because I only could afford that lens. I, I didn't afford it. She bought it for me. I used that <laughs> one lens to shoot every single angle of my films. The, the close-up shots, the wide shots, the over-the-shoulder shots and everything. Yeah, until I could afford another lens. So the way, the, what has changed and what has really evolutionized is the way we consume content. And, um, and uh, even your, your, yourselves, like at one point in time, you guys used to be, oh, can't wait for the next movie. Can't wait to go to the cinema and watch the next movie. And then Facebook came like, oh, you know, uh, I can't wait uh, to check out what my friends are doing. And then YouTube became so popular and you like started watching films on YouTube. Then Instagram started having pictures like, oh, now there's a new platform to consume content. And then when they introduced video on Instagram, it's like, oh, you know, there's a new way. You know, it's, it's always constantly evolving. So I feel like uh, that's, uh, that's the biggest evolution in my industry. And mm. uh, hence why we named ourselves Aspect Ratio Studios because we create content uh, in many multiple different aspect ratios. And uh, a lot of people co co consume a lot of content in different aspect ratios these days. And it, it doesn't mean that a different aspect ratio gives you a different set of quality of content. I think content is king at the end of the day. And yeah, that's, that's basically how everything has changed today. It's crazy. <laughs> Talking about content, let's talk a bit about Asian parents of the future. Um, it's interesting <laughs> what you guys did there. It was two years ago, but felt like I just watched it yesterday. Seriously. Oh, thank you. Um, I really like what you did there with the twist. Um, our, our parents, because they love us so much, allow us to do what we want or what they think is best for us. Um, yes. Just as the story uh, has been told. The, my question is, how do we find a passion that also helps us pay rent and possibly, I don't know, buy us a house and get married and have kids by the age of 30. Ah, I, I, okay. Like a lot of people, like the narrative out there is like, you know, if you're passionate about something, uh, your passion will reward you in the long term. Although I would say I would kind of agree with that. But, you know, uh, it comes with a lot of patience. Like uh, I love making videos since I was in high school, um, in uni, and 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 it it was it was never for the goal of making money. It was for the goal of like, oh, you know, I made something cool to kind of humor myself, or maybe just send it to a friend. And say, hey, do you think this is cool? And when they say it's cool, they go, ah, oh, okay, it, it satisfies you. Um, but I think like uh, when I re nobody realizes that their passion can be monetized until they're actually doing it. Like, you know, not without, like, you know, uh, they will be very unaware. And all of a sudden, mm. you know, if they started getting paid for their passion, they're just, okay, I just get paid. But in the long run, when it becomes a bigger business, like, oh, wow, my passion has become my, um, you know, my, my, my main income. And it's, it's crazy. Like, it's, it's, it's when you least expect it. I feel that um, don't uh, keep saying that, oh, I'm going to turn my passion into my business. I feel mm. like, just like this is, I think like um, like a piece of advice that uh, a celebrity has always told me. I, I met this celebrity when I was younger, and he he gave me this piece of advice. Maybe because my mom told him to tell me this, and that's <laughs> so that you know, you know how parents parents will it's go to an influential person. Uh -huh. hey, can you tell my child? Can you can you tell my child this so that my child will listen to you? Uh, his name is Lee Hong, by the way. So he said that, uh, uh, you know, hey, you got to finish your studies first. And then uh, if you really like music, because I like music back then, you know, once you're done with your studies, then you can really pursue whatever you want. So I, I, I just feel that um, uh, like uh, for teenagers who, who just graduated or stuff like that, they can work a, a nine to five job while they kind of do something else uh, in their off time uh, that they're passionate about. But because you will know when the time is right to basically turn your passion into income. 
I mean, you can't force it. You need to, you need to have a bit of backing first. You know, you need to have something stable, and you you will know. The thing is, you, I can't tell you how, but you will know when you can take that leap of faith to to basically venture into your your passion and turn it into monetary gains. Yeah, I think this is just a very rational advice. It's not like oh, follow your passion, follow your heart kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we want to talk a bit about your creative process, like. How does your creative process look like when creating skits like this? Um, I think like uh, all the stories that I write uh, are based on a part of me growing up. I think like uh, all the like like the first film I wrote was uh, you know about me buying a camera. Um, and there are some films, a love stories like unfold that people tend to like. It's, it's just it's just my failed love life, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and 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 my relationship with my friends and my mom, especially especially the films yeah. that I do with my mom. It's it, yes, it is. I love that. Some people actually at one point I thought uh, thought that the lady who was playing my mom was an actor, but when they realized wow. that she was actually my mom, they be yes. like, huh, "She's actually your mom." So like, yeah. <laughs> And and it's funny because some of them have met my mom and they realized that oh your mom is exactly like how she is in the videos, uh-huh. so yeah that's that's and that's that's how it's supposed to be because like uh, yeah. all the stories that I write are very much about me growing up and the experiences that I've gone through uh, as you know a kid a teenager a young adult you know so. I don't think I'm a very creative person. I just write about stuff that I've been through. You know, I can't write fiction. I can't write like, you know, mother stories. I'm not like super, super like, you know, like, like I can't fantasize on like, you know, imaginary stuff. I just write things on what I've been through. And, and I, I guess uh, that's why people kind of relate to our stuff. I, 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 when I write those stories, I write um, with the notion of, thinking that I'm the only person going through this particular situation. But then when we upload it on YouTube, people be like, oh my God, I'm like that too. And they'll be like, oh, okay. So that's very reassuring that I'm not the only person that feels that way. And uh, I, I guess that was the formula uh, of writing our films. And there was the, the really, really, there's no like, you know, secret sauce to our videos. Everyone else is doing it too now, you know. <laughs> the minute something is trending, someone will make a video based on that trend. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it is how it is. Just that we I we were very lucky that we were one of the first to start it. If we were to start our YouTube channel now, I think it will be, you know, it will be very, very tough for us. Mm-hmm. I would say that you've pretty much maybe peaked. I don't know how what you think about this. Because when you started, you know, your video, the one, the milestone ones, um, Ah Wing Wing, Malaysian number one salesman, that was like yeah. 100,000 views in four days. And then you got on radio and then now you're a brand ambassador for Watsons. Would you say that you've already <laughs> peaked in in like, where, where else can you go? Is there a ceiling that you're trying to hit? Oh, I okay. That's a funny, that's a really good question because <laughs> I was just having this conversation with my wife. I was like, um, I, I, I was like, ask, yeah, I told her, I was like, Hey, why am I still doing this? And why are people like Watson still coming up to me and asking me to be their brand ambassador when I'm like no longer relevant? You know, there's so many other new, uh, talents, um, that are like, you know, huge, like Jen, you know, like, uh, all the Chinese, uh, content creators like Liz, Chloe, yeah. um, I, 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 I'm not saying that I don't appreciate all these brands coming <laughs> to work with me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate them uh, when they see the value in working with me because I think like, uh, actually, yeah, it's a very good question. I would love the brands to tell me, but I think we have a very good working relationship, a relationship <laughs> with all the brands that we work with for the past 10 years. Um, and I think um, they still like the, the, the team, uh, my team uh, that comes up with the creative being led by me. 
and uh, they still they, they still support my work and stuff, and I'm really really grateful for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a question that I I would like to answer because I'm already expecting to kind of like drop like ground zero <laughs> and be a dad and and not have to attend events or be in front of the camera anymore. But I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. So I guess I've come to a stage where uh, I, I I am ready to accept if if like you know a brand tomorrow tells me hey we're not going to renew your contract um, because. Um, you know, we think that, you know, you've kind of reached your peak. And I believe I did. I have. I think I've reached, I think personally, I've reached my peak like three years ago. <laughs> you know? um, hence why I had to move on to other things like, you know, building a sustainable business without my name, like I just mentioned. So like for me is I just take everything as it comes. If people still wants to work with me and they see me as someone that adds value to their brand uh, with the collaboration, I'll still do it. But if they don't, then, you know, I have something else uh, to fall back on. And that's, I think, always yeah. been my nature. I think when I was working on radio, on radio, YouTube was going to be the thing that I was going to fall back on. Like, oh, if radio fails, at least I've got YouTube. So if I'm going to leave radio and go to YouTube, what am I going to fall back on? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I can't, I can't possibly fall back on cryptocurrency because, like, you know, it's like so <laughs> volatile. So I oh guess, again, I, I, I take everything as it comes. So um, every time when... Uh, when I when I do something, like what I'm trying to say is, I guess, um, try not to be too comfortable. So, to sound very uh, more business like now. So when I when I did YouTube and I realized I had nothing else back to fall back on, I started the social media agency because I knew that was going to yeah. be a trend. Mm-hmm. I think when you run your own business long enough, you'll be able to see trends, project the future, and plan for whatever is coming, uh, and kind of do your research on what's the trends, what are the trends to come. Um, and then after that, like you know. Uh, once you build that, then you realize that you know you put your effort and you know it's sustainable. Then you move on to the next thing. And if you've peaked uh, building something within your industry, then maybe it's time for you to explore on other things. Like for me, I'm exploring acting. I, I'm going. We're doing something with. Uh, Ast- I'm doing something with Astro, and I'm I'm doing something with some other projects as well. Um, and we're exploring do, uh, building films uh, with my team, uh, setting it for festivals and stuff like that. So, you know, it is continuously evolving, I guess, um, to answer your question, Lynn. I think like, uh, and Castle, like you mentioned about evolving as well. So I guess like you don't necessarily have to evolve to be popular all the time. You can evolve to do other things as well uh, to make sure like your business sustains, your your interest sustains and, you know, uh, the... Uh, uh, the company sustains everything. So I guess like when you grow up, things will change. Roll, roll with the change. Unfortunately, you know I mean? kids. Yeah. <laughs> but wow, Jin, I have mad respect for you. Like, I feel like you're so Asian about this. Like I need to have something to fall back on. And I think uh, in life, we, we want certainty. We plan around uh, a lot. But sometimes even when you plan, like life just hits you in the face. And yep. here's, we, we spoke about this before. You said that right now you are focusing a lot more on aspect ratio studios, um, yep. but you're working on some personal stuff in the near future. Here's a personal question. Is there a time where you feel like you're lost or you don't know what to do? And like, how do you deal with that? Oh, of course. Um, I think like... Uh, uh, I've, I think I, I felt this about like two years ago where like uh, um, everything I want to write, someone's written it. Um, I hit a brick. Like, you know, everything that I want to do, someone's done it. 
and you know like uh and and we lost out a lot of opportunities to other people because they had better ideas so you know as a person who everybody keeps saying like so that's why when people come up to me and said oh you know look at you you're the pioneer of youtube you you're number one stuff for like that mm. it's like that uh unnecessary no i won't say unnecessary is that is that pressure that some people tend to throw at you and you kind of have to live up to that expectation so i think like when you can't live up to the expectation that's where you kind of blame yourself because like you know you know, a lot of, you can't do this. And then, you know, uh, you, you hit a brick wall and then you get really upset. And then, but I think, uh, I think that there was a point of time where I was quite upset with not being able to kind of be how I was like, like five, six years ago where we were like peaking and booming. Then I realized that, uh, you know, uh, I, then that's when I realized that, Hey, you know what? I remember that, you know, I, I told myself that nothing lasts forever. So why must you, why did I have to basically take on everything upon my, myself and my own shoulders and stuff like that? So that's where I decided to reinvest back into the company and hire more people, hire creatives, hire writers. And they basically made a lot more things that is even better than what I could be capable of. And, you know, it's like, then that's where you realize, hey, you're not that, you're not turned out, you're not all that great that you think that you are. You know what I mean? You, you, you should, there are other people out there who are greater than you, but don't have the opportunity to basically flex on what they can do. And that's where I'm like, okay, I feel a lot better because like, I feel, I feel, I felt so much better when everybody could create and they took the whole big load off of my shoulders. And, mm. and especially when they created something like super cool and looks so much like the, oh, the production quality is like so great. Like I could never achieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it, where where it allowed me to focus on a lot more things, actually, like growing the company, being a father, <laughs> uh, being a dad, like you know, just have time for myself and really pamper myself and spoil myself. You know what I mean? So I feel like uh, every creative will go through this, or every person in the entertainment industry will go through this. There will be a point of time where they'll be like, "Oh my god, you know what? Uh, this person is better than me." They're constantly. They, you will you will always compare yourself to the yeah. next person who just suddenly explodes. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, when you learn how to give it, when you learn how to just let go and understand that, like you know, uh, you, there are better things to look forward to apart from just the numbers and the views and the likes and the the social validations. You will be a happier person. So that's where I, for me, it's that's where I am now. I think. <laughs> So on those social validations, right? I mean, I remember way back when, a few years ago, people were getting on this trend of like, oh my gosh, I can make money off my hobbies, especially those of us who really enjoy content creation. And then yeah. it got to a point where like, yay, I can make money off my hobbies. But nowadays, we're kind of at this stage where like, we don't want to monetize our hobbies because it takes the joy out of it. Because like when I started making videos as well, and clients would like ask for certain things and like, oh, I want you to say this, even though that's yeah. not exactly how I feel about the thing. <laughs> and then slowly, and then sometimes your boss goes like, I want 50 videos by the end of today and then you're like oh I'm not really doing what I want I'm doing it for the numbers or things like that so at a certain point what do you feel about people monetizing their hobby and then it becomes more about making it successful than the joy of the hobby then is it actually a hobby or is it more of a part-time job or is it like something in the middle (laughs) I think like uh, when there's money involved in in all these uh, engagements uh, there will always be expectations and you need to understand that very rarely would you have a client like hey here's like some money do whatever you want. I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> because at the end of the day, every brand will have a KPI or a mm-hmm. ROI that they need to measure. Um, and you you need, that's why I think like when we started the YouTube channel, when I started the YouTube channel, 
we didn't work with any brands actually. Uh, and not because that I didn't want to, it's because nobody came to us. <laughs> <laughs> it's not you, it's me. People, yeah, it, it's me. Like, it's like, um, I think it was so new. YouTube was so new that every brand would be like, ah, this is just a passing fad. And then mm-hmm. when we kept to make when when, it, when we kept staying relevant for the one year, and then there were more. Actually, it's not us. We grew with the community. There was Joseph Jamani, there was Danku, there was uh, yeah. Grim Films, yeah. there was uh, a lot of YouTubers at, at that point mm-hmm. in time. When they saw when the, when that community was growing, then the brand started to kind of like, okay, you know what? This seems to be a new thing. Um, so we had like a, a head start of like one year plus to kind of do whatever we want while I was still working for radio. So that's why I said that. You know, when you are doing something when you're passionate about, it's good to have like a, a day job and you can do whatever you're passionate about in your off time, right? There's no, you know, when you do something that you're passionate about uh, during your off time, there's no expectations. The, ex- the biggest expectation comes from yourself. Uh, you can really focus on what you feel that's best for you and your platform or whatever you feel that's best creatively. There's no one there to judge you. There's no one there to control you. So you're able to basically grow organically. The minute you rush into basically putting dollars and cents into creation, there's already another third party expecting uh, some sort of return. And obviously, uh, if that company is big, there will be agencies involved. And when there's an agency involved, there will be creators involved. So there's going to be many, many layers that's going to be involved in your creative process. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's I, I know it's very discouraging to uh, what, what I'm actually saying, but that it is how it is in the advertising world, that there are expectations. Uh, is it bad? No, it's it's how you handle them. So for us, is every time a brand comes up to us and they say they want to work with us, we have certain guidelines and rules uh, to the brands in order for them to understand what it takes to work with us. I know it sounds very Eva. Like, no, we can't do it. Yeah, but it, it is how it is because we know our audiences. They don't know our audiences. They only see the numbers that we get. They don't understand the audience that watches our stuff. So have we made mistakes by following whatever the client wanted, the agency wanted? Yeah, we have. And did, did, did all these contents like, you know, do badly? Yeah, some of them did badly, but it's part of the learning process. Sometimes we need these type of mistakes in order to kind of give a case study to the brands to tell them like, look, we did this and it kind of didn't work. So we don't want to repeat the same mistake. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again- like, Please listen I, to us. We know what we're doing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you need to, you need to, the brands need to least listen to us. But at the same time, um, because you're, you're the creative, you need to, if the brand is very stringent on their guidelines, then you as a creative needs to be very, you need to find a creative way to circumvent around their restrictions. But if you can't find uh, that, 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 that way to basically go around their restrictions, then it is okay to kind of turn down the job. Yeah, but sometimes it gets a little bit sticky because you know some some creatives need that money. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very sticky situation. So every time, like you know, when I see when I see people creatives doing stuff out of their their comfort zone and whatever they usually do, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, yeah not you, but I, I kind of understand. <laughs> And the final question for today to wrap this up, I know we said 20 minutes, but yo, we go on and on. It's like 40 it's okay, right I can now. go on for days, you know. <laughs> uh, we want to ask like of everything you have accomplished, what are you most proud of? Mm. Imagine he says his kids. I was going to say my kids. <laughs> yes, and no! congrats on the new baby, baby Chloe. Yeah, She's beautiful. My biggest, ac- my biggest achievement is being a dad. I, I can't yeah. provide Oh my for, God, I was uh, joking. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could like bring this little creature into this world and give her whatever yeah. she wants. I'm not going to spoil her, by the way. Both of them. <laughs> Both of them. I think them. that's, that's yeah. my biggest achievement. I think like before my kid came about, if, if I had no kids, I'd probably tell you, oh, uh, you know, my biggest achievement is I uh, hear one million subscribers. You know, this, <laughs> oh, you, know, I stuff. you know, this and that. I have a team. But like, uh, I, not that I don't love my team. I hope they don't listen to this. And be like, what the hell? We're like, what? You know? We are our um, kids think, first. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think my biggest achievement is to. Um, I'll give you two. I think one of one of them is being able to build a sustainable business uh, yeah. that doesn't require me uh, to basically be the forefront of the of the whole company. Uh, and I think the most important that tops it all is being a parent because, like, I think uh, being a parent is not an easy job. It's the is the hardest job ever, not for me, but for my wife. Amen. Both yeah. of us actually. Because both of us run the company and both of us have to take care of kids. And, you know, moms are the ones that take the even bigger load of mm-hmm. taking care of kids. My wife had a C-section. She went back to work on the third day on her laptop. So it's, that's, that's, that's what that's what being insane. a business owner is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like we do it. The thing is, last time we run a business and we like, oh, see, like make money and stuff like that. We do it like, oh, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. But now everything that we do, it's like we have to give the kids education. Where do yeah. we want to send them? Like literally, yeah. I'm going to be having a 130 uh, meeting today with with a with a with a kind with a kindergarten or a school. Wait, and she's like, what? Eight days old? Yeah, I or mean, like for, my third, for my for my for my okay. three year old. So okay, okay. For yeah, my Kezo. biggest achievement is just being a dad. I love yeah. every minute of it. If I could, to be honest, if I could retire, <laughs> I would and and spend all my time trying to play with my daughters and and just grow up with them and uh, go through every single like you know uh, moment playing with toys that they like and I like myself uh, <laughs> yeah like you know I think like playing with them whatever like so just, I'm sure MCO has been like a blessing in disguise yeah, for you you're like, like oh, yeah, with your kids <laughs> yeah yeah but I like um, yes it, it has been a blessing because we like mm, how do I explain this I know some people there are some narrative there are some people out there saying that oh you know we're being stuck at home with the kids it's very stressful and stuff like that for me and my wife it was very different I think like we got to spend a lot of time with Kazel, uh to teach to teach her how to talk, read books with her, and stuff like that. We saw her grow up. We were literally with her every day, and uh, today she could have a co- she's three years old and she could have a conversation. She can negotiate with me on what she wants and what she doesn't want. And we, I, I guess, we see we see we see the value in that. You know what I mean? I think like all of us, all of it, not all of us, I won't speak for all of us, but for at least for my my wife and I, I think we grew up uh, where our Asian parents had to go out to really work uh, odd jobs, a few jobs yeah. to make sure that we could get the best. So there will be times that they were not there during our most like, you know, uh, important times growing up. So the thing is for us, for uh, for us allowing us for to be able to work from home and also being able to spend time with our our kids, um, it's it's, it's really a blessing. Like, I really enjoyed every moment of it. Um, you know, there there are times where it can get a little bit stressful, but I think like once everything materializes and you see how she basically. Uh, when my daughter wakes me up uh, every day, she just rubs my shoulder. She's like, "Daddy, wake up!" And then when I wake up, she just gets, she'll just hug me for like two, two, three minutes and not say anything. And you'll be like, "Ah, this is all worth it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I that uh, that that basically trumps everything else. 
I love how we started with like you breaking into the industry and figuring out how to get from point A to point B. And then now you're in this place where you're like, I am creating not just with the company, but also with my kids. And this is your legacy that you've made. And I think like when we talk about household names, when we talk about YouTubers, like my parents knew about you. 10 years ago and that is an achievement oh, wow. like that tells you what kind of like you know how the I, legacy you've made is just incredible i don't know how i did it i when people come up to me and tell me that you're a household name i'm like do you know that i hated the name jenny boy jenny boy was given to me as a nickname uh it was given to me as a nickname on radio because i was the youngest recruit uh-huh. Everybody, uh, Ian, that idiot. Okay, I hope he listens to this. I love him the bits, though, by the way. I, I wanted to go on radio. You know, I wanted to go on radio. I was like, hey, what's up, guys? I'm Jin. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, my name is Jin. It's cool yeah. to say Jin. You know what I mean? And then he just goes out like, hey, everybody, yeah, this is our news Chris Genie Boy. And I'd be like, shut up. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. And that's how I got my nickname. Literally, yeah. how I got my nickname. They're on national radio, they were making fun of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I calling me Ginny Boy because I'm a little boy, you know. What I mean? The biggest prank. <laughs> yeah, so I hated it, but it stuck with me until today. And uh, yeah, so you know, <laughs> I I I don't know. Nothing can be planned. Nothing. If everybody comes up to me and say, "Hey, man, how do be how do I be, become as successful as you?" I'm like, really? I hate my nickname, <laughs> and you want to be as successful as me? <laughs> I have no answer to that. Like literally, I am. I I have no fail-proof roadmap for anyone who wants to be like me. And I don't think anybody should look at me as being someone, someone successful. I they, they should just look at me as an example of what not to be and do something better than what I can do. Like whatever I do in, on, on, on video, do it better. It's all. Well, I'm going to annoy you one more time. Thank you, everyone, yeah. for listening. Our special guest today, Ginny Boy. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, yeah. have a great week ahead. Take care. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>